Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the program. Always an honor to be in for the Hall of Famer, Jim Rome. As we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios, whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. Brian Weber with you. Always value every opportunity to interact with the best audience in all of sports media. I try my best to be transparent with you. I give out the phone number for a reason. Phone calls taken selectively, however, 1-800-636-8686. Emails Rome at avatake.com. Twitter's your best pathway to be a part of the show. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. And since I am up front, hopefully by now you know that I have a high-energy approach, not passion and energy. That's my good friend, JT the Brick. But I come prepared with four and a half hours of content. I try to cram into a three-hour bag. And now we have breaking news. That means I'm going to be even more frenetic than normal. With only two guests on the rundown, in 40 minutes, we talk to Sean Watson, the rest of the NFL with Josh Alper from Pro Football Talk. Final hour of the program. Baseball, our focus. As we get closer to the trade deadline coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time later today, we'll cover it all with Joe Sheehan, who's covered the grand game for decades, formerly of Sports Illustrated. Now check out his fine work at joesheehan.com. We have been waiting for a potential blockbuster after a series of marginal moves. It appears it's going to occur as the news breaking within the last five minutes. Jeff Passan of ESPN, the first to report, the San Diego Padres are finalizing a deal to acquire Juan Soto from Washington. My goodness. Now, I'm not doing three hours on baseball because this is not satellite radio, nor is it 1998. However, even I know the magnitude of this deal. Think about All the implications, let's just start in the near term, the Padres being very aggressive as they picked up Josh Hader, the all-star closer from Milwaukee yesterday. More importantly, they have blocked the Dodgers from adding another superstar with the Dodgers' unlimited financial resources. If you're a Washington fan, I feel your pain. Because now let's go through the parade of stars that have departed our nation's capital. Bryce Harper is now in Philadelphia. Max Scherzer on his second team. In fact, Scherzer pitching for the Mets, second team since leaving the Nats. Last night gave up a home run to Soto in what apparently is going to be his last game as a member of the Nationals. Trey Turner said goodbye to D.C. He's in L.A. So the Nationals just can't retain their stars. And think about the other implications of this mega move Who's going back in return from San Diego to Washington? I don't think most of you care about, and the terms are still being refined. Remember, this report from ESPN has the specific word finalizing. Nothing is done yet, but it wouldn't leak to a reporter with the credentials of Jeff Passan unless it was 95% done. The question will come down to the actual players going back to Washington from San Diego Player you might know, Mackenzie Gore, he's on the major league roster as a pitcher. All told, could be six or seven players going to Washington. But Soto, at the age of 23, can't get the free agency for two more years. That means the Padres have him for this October, 
two more Octobers under team control. Then they can work out, will they be able to keep them long term? But we have not seen a young player with his amazing range of abilities, just 23 years old. I'll dust off the cliches when I used to cover bases, cover the bases. That was a podcast as well for B. Webb here on Odyssey. I used to cover the bases on a daily basis handling the San Francisco Giants and Oakland A's pregame shows when I was a local television anchor in San Francisco. If you think about how Soto has already emerged as one of the best hitters in all of baseball at the age of 23, five tools at his disposal. Now you send him to San Diego with Manny Machado and the Padres getting ready to welcome back Fernando Tatis Jr., who's going to make his season debut coming all the way back from the broken wrist. So I like this move from a dispassionate point of view for a couple reasons. I think the Nats have proven to be a fraudulent organization. If you're a Nat fan, you got your World Series, what else are you getting in return? They just can't keep their stars. The one guy they've retained, Steven Strasburg, can't stay healthy. From a general view of baseball having a semblance of competitive balance, and that was the whole point of adding another wild card. Here is, quote-unquote, a small market team in San Diego continually now stepping up financially, credit ownership for going all in, and having the ability to now court Soto for a couple years while he's cheap, but we'll see if he wants to hang around, if he wants to bond with Tatis Jr., Another amazing young player. And Machado, who's more established in the bigs. But it just can't be the Yankees and the Dodgers and all of the financial powerhouses dominating baseball every year. If you look at the standings, and we'll get back to this in the final hour of the program with Joe Sheehan of JoeSheehan.com. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. Should we do old-fashioned baseball talk on the radio? Instant analysis, your reaction. Padre fans, where are you? 1-800-636-8686. One other thought, and then i got to make the move to Deshaun Watson. So we'll go with the bifurcated, the hybrid monologue here. You heard around the All-Star game, when we saw Soto showing off his power once more at Home Run Derby, the leak that came clearly from the Nats side that Soto was rejecting a contract for $440 million over the course of 15 years to make him look greedy, to make him look selfish, to prepare the fan base for this eventuality that apparently is going to become a reality for just joining us. The Padres, according to ESPN, finalizing a deal to pick up Juan Soto from Washington. Padres irrelevant into the vision because the Dodgers already lead San Diego, last checked by a dozen games, but... The wild card certainly coming into play. And who knows? Maybe we have a 1978 kind of collapse. Red Sox fading. Here come the Yankees with Bucky Dent. Maybe Soto energizes San Diego and makes that division race more interesting. But for the Nationals to leak that $440 million contract, those of us who live in the real world and pay the bills say, how could you turn down $440 million? Well, The answer is baseball economics, because Soto, whenever he signs the next deal, would be well served. He's got a very tenacious agent in Scott Boris to sign a four or five year deal. Why? Because he's only 23 years old. 
cash in again as the average average annual salary continues to climb in baseball as they have so many new revenue streams now based on streaming, getting money from Apple and Peacock. And don't you think Amazon will want in at some point? Soto, from a financial point of view, would be very astute to not rush into a long-term deal, bet on yourself, and get paid again in five years. So I've got one eye on the television, my good eye, like Sammy Davis Jr. If there are more developments, Rit is up because Rit, like myself, is old. And we like trade deadline baseball conversation. Remember, it's no longer the non-waiver trade deadline. I used to love that, right? Oh, here comes Verlander sneaking into Houston. How did that happen in August? This is the (laughs) definitive trade deadline. If you care about more of the particulars, I gave you the player you might know coming back from San Diego, Mackenzie Gore. Looks like Eric Hosmer will be part of the deal as well. As one writer called it, Joel Sherman, a veteran scribe who's been covering the game for decades, in his opinion, quote, this could be the most substantive deal or substantive, Caribbean, Caribbean. This could be the biggest deal in deadline history. Should I claim credit for breaking the news? I'm the first person to say it here on CBS Sports Network. You heard it on CBS Sports Radio as well. Jeff Passan will get the proper attribution. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. In many ways, I'm glad to have had that conversation with you because I'm the guy telling you I want to talk more than just football, even though if you know me, and most of you don't, it would be based on my brief tenure at NFL Network. Football has paid the bills for me for the better part of 15 years, but I like more balance in our approach as sports fans, and I did not want to spend 15 minutes on allegations of sexual assault. So... Let's make the tricky transition to Deshaun Watson. And we'll cover it again in detail coming up now in a half hour when we incorporate the first of two guests. We'll say hello to Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. With only two guests, you can be a part of the show. 1-800-636-8686. Twitter is always the most direct way to get my attention. B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. Watson will also be the focus of the monologue starting hour number two of the program. But let's do it for the first time here efficiently. And I give the league and the NFL Players Association credit for doing something they should do Every time we have a situation like Deshaun Watson's, they release the entire report issued by the former federal judge, Sue Robinson, and we got a sense as to how she arrived at the decision that Watson would be suspended for six games. Now, I didn't say only six games because that's a value judgment. You could say merely six games just from the standpoint of expectation that we were led to believe that it could be Something unprecedented for a violation of the personal conduct policy, namely an indefinite suspension that would translate into Watson missing at least this whole upcoming season. That's what the league was pushing for. The Players Association and Watson countered with Deshaun claiming he's done nothing wrong and the Players Association saying the penalty should be nothing Zero games, especially when we get into some of the semantics based on the finding from Judge Sue Robinson, the former federal judge. A reminder, she took a month to process all of this information. And since I take my job seriously and a million years ago, 
I was pre-law or pre-med, one or the other, like Animal House, a political science major years ago. I like to read legalese and like to get a sense of how a judge arrives at an opinion. And for Robinson, some of the key phrases that stood out to me, and they're getting a lot of traction throughout the football media landscape, nonviolent sexual assault is mentioned in her report. But at the conclusion, when she finds the last portion of her document coming together with the bullet points that stand out, she uses the phrase nonviolent sexual behavior. And I want to be upfront. It is 9:12 in Southern California as I come to you from Jim's Regal Studio. That means it's just past noon on a summer afternoon on the East Coast. Kids are in the car. They're on vacation. I'm not getting into all of the lurid details here, okay? I think we all feel at this stage of the Deshaun Watson dialogue like we've been overwhelmed with knowledge that we don't want to be aware of. This is a tawdry case. Nobody looks good. But just from a standpoint of NFL discipline, and remember, this is the first case that has gone through the new process, the league and the union agreeing that the first step of quote-unquote league justice would be an independent arbiter with Roger Goodell reserving the right if the league decides to appeal before Thursday morning. They have 72 hours to file that appeal. Either Goodell or his designee comes up with the final amount of discipline. And let's say it's not Goodell. Let's say it's somebody that he picks at 345 Park Avenue, the league offices in New York City. Do you think the surrogate, the designee, is going to say, yeah, Raj, I know you're pushing for a full season. I disagree. We're going to Stand pat with a half dozen games, or I'm going to knock it down to four because, after all, it's nonviolent sexual behavior. And the reason I keep going back to that phrase is this. The judge, just following the protocol of the NFL personal conduct policy as it's written, could only come up with a precedent of the Jameis Winston incident. You'll recall that Jameis was suspended for three games. Now, remember, that was a negotiated settlement between the Players Association and the league. Jameis was accused of groping an Uber driver. Aberrant behavior, terrible for Jameis Winston to be involved in that, but under the terms of the personal conduct policy, that is nonviolent. So because, in the opinion of federal judge Sue Robinson, while she has some scathing language describing Watson and what he did, called it predatory conduct, said it was egregious, said she did not believe his categorical categorical denials of the allegations. In English, she says that he was not telling the truth. All of that could be the foundation for the league after appealing to come in and say, we're going to use the words of Judge Robinson to raise the suspension to a full season. But what the judge found, based on my non-lawyerly opinion, is the league is trying to change the parameters of discipline. And remember, she only heard evidence from four accusers, not the 24 that we know about with the lawsuits. Not the 66 women that the New York Times reported that Watson allegedly reached out to on social media to try to line up 
their services as a massage therapist. Not a single man among the 66. And isn't it interesting that the judge has ruled for Watson to come back after the suspension. He can no longer reach out independently. Poor choice of words. He can no longer contact independently massage therapist for the rest of his career. Any massage treatment he gets has to be through the club. But because she is a judge, because I think she wanted to be as independent and balanced in her assessment as possible, because remember, it was the league and the union who signed off on her as the arbiter of this case pending appeal. She stuck by the actual words in the personal conduct policy and precedent. That is what judges do. They look in the legal books that you see in the background of every procedural TV show. When Columbo goes in to see the DA, that's what all those books are in the background, even though they can look it up on Lexus now. And the other thing judges consider is precedent. So is the precedent the Winston case? Is it Ben Roethlisberger? Well, Ben got six games, knocked down to four. Is it Ezekiel Elliott? He got six games. So I understand the outrage. And let me say this clearly and with no hesitation. I am not defending Deshaun Watson in any way. If I had the decision to make, he's sitting for an entire season. This is abysmal behavior. I don't even understand what's going on here, and I don't want to hazard a guess as to his motivation. But... Due process matters. And we'll talk about this coming up to kick off our number two of the program. What will the PR impact be? What will the optics be if the league comes in and says, thank you, Your Honor. You're a federal judge. You spent a month reviewing this, but we know better. I think there's going to be fallout there as well as all the pushback happening now that Watson only got six games. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that sound. Brings a smile to my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's why I love that sound. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere and synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. They can do all of that for you. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started. I know where we are right now, and I'm still on that journey. And like mine, Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Because we have more breaking news to get to, not based on... The NFL's ability to appeal Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension, that's not happened yet. I'll tell you what has occurred within the last 
10 minutes in the next 45 seconds with a football conversation with Josh Alper of ProFootballTalk.com coming up in 15 minutes. Keep the tweets coming. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, because I am a radio performer trained to fulfill my forward promotion. I mentioned Tom Brady, the face of the NFL, turning 45 tomorrow, but is there somebody more impactful than Brady? Dot, dot, dots. Stand by. I might get to that later in the show, maybe tomorrow, and I'm back two more days next week. Quick reaction. Dave the Rocket Guy, apparently sexually harassing women isn't as bad as betting on games according to the NFL. Hashtag Calvin Ridley can't bet. Here's the difference, Dave. Betting goes directly to the integrity of the game, as does the PED policy. So for all the... Folks out there going, wait a minute, Ridley's out for an entire season. Think about the precedent historically. I have no life. I know sports history. I'll take it back to when Paul Horning and Alex Garris were suspended for an entire season in the late 50s, early 60s, when they were two of the faces of the league for sports gambling. That precedent has been there for decades. Secondly, there are, as you kids say, receipts. There's demonstrable proof that Ridley bets on that parlay and that's always a good bet right and I know you're saying wait a minute we're talking about 24 lawsuits versus wagering on an app it's a strict violation of one of the most straightforward policies in all of sports it's going to evolve because the NFL is printing money based on their gambling partnerships but that's why Ridley is not going to play this year and that's why You have the DeAndre Hopkins suspension with Arizona, even though he claims that he had the positive test based on maybe something he got in his shampoo. Again, here's the difference between Hopkins and Watson. There is proof. There is a positive test in the Hopkins case. In the Watson situation, unfortunately, it is he said versus 24's she said. So it's more ambiguous. It's more murky. Can an essay? Webbs, you couldn't pay us enough to go to the Padres. Yours, altar boys. Many years removed from being an altar boy. In fact, I was the oldest altar boy at Our Lady Perpetual Help in Pelamander, New York. I was 13. The priest said, hey, you're too tall to be an altar boy. Next week, you're going to be a reader. And that's why you have to deal with me on the radio. They made me get up in front of crowds. More breaking news. And Rick gave me this 10 seconds before we came on the air. But thankfully, I'm watching as well on television. So there's nothing like a host meandering through copy he has not read before. But here's the headline. Dolphins lose their upcoming 2023 first-round pick after the NFL found them guilty of tampering. So tampering is still a thing. I mentioned the Karras and Horning suspension decades ago in the NFL. Tampering has been on the books as long as we've had a National Football League. But here's the problem with what the Dolphins not only allegedly did, but based on the league finding, did. This has been circulating out there that they flirted with Tom Brady, Sean Payton. They had all of these conversations and the actual substance of it was found out based on the investigation that came from the allegations of their former head coach, Brian Flores, who has that lawsuit claiming that Stephen Ross, who 
will be suspended through October 17, and he can't even come to his own facility in the interim. Remember, Flores made the allegations that he was instructed to lose as they were trying to tank for Tua, and he was also given the cash incentive back in 2019 from the owner of a hundred grand to lose games. Those allegations have not been proven to be factual, nor validated as the lawsuit continues, but as the league conducted its investigation, and we are doing hardcore sports talk today, where is the frivolity? I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. Based on that investigation, the league found that the Dolphins tampered by having conversations with people under contract. That's Tom Brady and Sean Payton, because Sean Payton was still the head coach of the Saints in name, even though it was becoming clearer he was going to step aside at least for one year, and Brady had yet to retire. But this has been out there for months In fact, based on the timeline, when Brady came back from that short retirement, we had heard that it was going to be a package deal. Sean Payton to Miami as the head coach, Tom Brady as the quarterback, and then everything changed when Brady decided to return to Tampa Bay. So you're all caught up. Dolphins will not have their first-round pick coming up in next year's draft. The owner is fined a million and a half bucks, and he can't sit in his luxury box, and that's the biggest perk most of these guys derive from spending a couple bill to own an NFL team. He can't hang out and schmooze with his friends in Miami. Can't attend a league meeting either. All right, I've given you all of the minutiae, but the headline here is the league in an effort to try to show that they have been thorough in their investigation of the allegations from former head coach Brian Flores, who landed in Pittsburgh as an assistant for Mike Tomlin, that the league is saying, okay, well, we have done our due diligence, and here's what we found. It was tampering. This is not earth-shattering. This is not, in my mind, all that significant. But since it happened within the last... 10 minutes, and because we talk NFL draft so much, Dolphins won't have a draft pick in the opening round next year. They're hoping to be picking lower if they were still picking with the addition of Tyreek Hill and the new head coach, Mike McDaniel, coming over from San Francisco. Remember, Tyreek Hill says Tua Tungabailoa is the most accurate passer in all of football, and I believe he used to play with Patrick Mahomes, so I think that might be a little bit of cranking up the hype machine. But the other takeaway, and we'll talk about this coming up, This was good producing. We got lucky when we're joined in less than 10 minutes by Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com. What more could be out there in this league investigation of the allegations from Brian Flores? Because since this was already percolating, we had heard all about the Brady and Peyton speculation. They were going to go together to Miami. Do these findings by the league bolster what Flores has alleged that has even more significance. Namely, he was offered hundred grand to tank. That's coming up. We will get to the interaction. It's not just going to be three hours of me making Alvin play the breaking news sounder, but we've done 33 minutes, and this has been hardcore news. I'm like at the update desk. Let's go to Brian. Thanks, Brian. Anything else going on? So, I think I want to start this with a quick question. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well then, 
Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel, and it offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Now that right there is a number. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains... Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin, leaving your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect it. What I'm saying is, try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel all day. Great to have you with us on what's become a very busy Tuesday. You know we're live in the Rocket Mortgage Studios. We're going to call it today the Rocket Mortgage Newsroom. We started the program with news that broke about five minutes before we went on the air. It's a blockbuster in baseball as the trade deadline's coming up at 6 Eastern. And after all the speculation, Juan Soto is on his way to San Diego. The Padres sending a package of six or seven players back to Washington. ESPN was first with the story. They're still finalizing the details, but Soto has been liberated from Washington, and the Padres prove once more they want to compete with the Dodgers long-term and in the short-term block the Dodgers from picking up Soto. Dodgers already have a 12-game lead over the Padres in the division. San Diego scrapping for those wild-card possibilities and breaking news that occurred within the last... 20 minutes in the NFL for instant analysis. Let's say hello to my friend, Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Okay. Have you had a chance to review the league's findings based on the Dolphins tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton? The league alleging that the conversations with Brady go back to 2019 when he was still in New England and involved the potential of Brady becoming a limited partner or playing for the team, or both. And beyond that, the league saying that while Stephen Ross, their owner, will be fined a million and a half dollars and suspended through October 17, here to me is the most important takeaway. The league found no credibility to the allegations that the Dolphins were tanking. Dolphins did not intentionally lose games. As you know, that's the allegations of the lawsuit filed by former head coach Brian Flores. So what do you make of all of this? Well, I, I would say I, I would say that in the Commissioner Goodell's note about the tampering, he commanded Brian commanded excuse me, commend not taking the bait more or less of of a tanking and that possibility being thrown out there by the owner. So I, I don't know that we completely exonerate Stephen Ross for wanting to tank. I think that Brian Flores didn't, and, and I think that's something that's also worth noting and something the league felt was worth noting. I, on the other stuff, I, I mean, I think it confirms something that we've been reporting on for quite a while about, about Brady and Peyton and the Dolphins' push to get both guys and, and how both retirements were somewhat – related to that effort and and a really concerted effort for those two guys to join up in Miami and confirms it and it confirms previous reporting about uh when he was leaving the Patriots and the Dolphins interest in him and it confirms a lot of what you know Brian Flores said in that lawsuit when it, it came to those aspects of the case and 
you know, I, I, I think it's a very bad look for everybody involved, um, but obviously particularly the Dolphins, who, I, I mean, this is about as egregious a violation as, as we've ever seen on the tampering. And those were the words that Roger Goodell use in his statement, quote, unprecedented scope and severity in the tampering violations. And you raise a good point. It was going to be part of my next question that the league clearly does not want to find any proof that there was a quid pro quo, that Stephen Ross offered $100,000 to Brian Flores to lose in 2019. I love this phrase because I have the statement in front of me, quote, This is from the league statement. There are different recollections about the wording, timing, and context of the remark. Goes on to say, however, even if made in jest, those statements carry with them an unnecessary potential risk. Is the league being too cute there? It sounds like they're trying to have it both ways. Yeah, I I think you I think you nailed the the you know, nailed it right on the head by saying that they they don't want to find evidence of, of a quid pro quo. They don't want to find that you know, that there was a offer being made by an NFL owner to the head coach to, you know, incentivize losing. They don't want that to be something on the on the record anywhere. They 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 can hint at what was being discussed. They can certainly uh talk about the, the possibilities and, and obviously he's being punished and, and how much is because of one or the other? The, you know, the NFL can say whatever they want, but it it, it was a big problem and it, it's it's something that I, I think under any other circumstances would, would warrant even further scrutiny of, of the operations. But, you know, I think we find in the NFL the, these things tend to go back to normal once the, you know, the punishment is served. Although the litigation continues from Brian Flores, that lawsuit has not been settled. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Room. We're taking you across the NFL with our good friend Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. So, Josh, now that we've handled the breaking news, let's get to what I thought was going to be the focal point of our conversation. Deshaun Watson, you've had a chance now to digest the findings from former Judge Sue L. Robinson. Go through the document released from your perspective. Is it logical that she arrived at the outcome of a six-game suspension? I don't. I, I find the the biggest gap in the reasoning to be that uh, you know that she said that this would be that something more than that would be an unprecedented punishment for a player given you know given what's been in place for so long for some you know for other players under the personal conduct policy, while also agreeing with the NFL's statement that this was an unprecedented level of allegations for one player to be facing, and so. I think when you're dealing with a lack of precedent on one side, the precedent shouldn't really matter on the other side. And I, I think that's the biggest argument for the NFL to make in any appeal and any any move to extend this suspension, which, you know, which still could be coming. Although, and I hate to try to pretend to be a lawyer, and that's why I'm glad we have you with us today, because your boss, Mike Florio, is an attorney. Is the distinction in the language important here? Because when you go through the document, there are words about nonviolent sexual assault, but at the end with her conclusions, she calls it sexual behavior. Isn't there a difference? And I don't want to get into the semantic game, but sexual behavior has a different implication than sexual assault, at least legally. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think we, we shouldn't go down the semantic road of, of what nonviolent sexual assault might even be. Um, but I, I think you're right, and I think that sexual behavior, sexual misconduct, sexual assault, there, there's sexual battery. There's so many different words that 
have, that can get thrown around in these cases. And I think that that is significant. But when you look at, it, to go back to the precedent issue, Ezekiel Elliott or Jameis Winston, allegations, uh, incidents with one woman versus, again, where you're extending it out over this, this huge period, and the penalties are very similar, and the, act, the actions and the accusations are not. Talking NFL with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, we're all speculating, but I value your informed opinion. The league has 72 hours starting yesterday. That means by Thursday morning they have to make up their mind whether they're going to appeal or not. What do you think the league is going to do? My guess is that they, they do move to extend this, this suspension. I, I think they're reading public opinion now, and I, I think that uh, that, that I think in, unless there's a prevailing thought that this was a just penalty, and I, I don't feel that was the initial reaction uh, in many quarters, I, I think that they, they are going to move to extend this at least indefinitely. Finally, because we talk about matters on the field in Sports Talk Radio, you're well aware the Browns have the easiest strength of schedule statistically over the first six games. What are realistic expectations for what Jacoby Brissett can do with an offense that leans heavily on Nick Chubb and has a steely defense? You know, I, I think that at, at his best, I, I, I mean, I think at best, Jacoby Brissett is a quarterback you hope to go 500 with. And so I, I think that's got to be the, the dream scenario for the Browns is 3-3 is three and three and getting Watson back for the final 11 games of the season. Josh, great information as always. Really glad you were available today to handle the breaking news with us. Appreciate the insights. We'll chat with you again soon here on CBS Sports Radio. Sounds great. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com. We only have one more guest in our remaining two hours. I think we can turn down the tempo now. The staff looking at me in horror. Yeah, folks, this is why I only lasted one year at NFL Network. I need copy. Hand me every piece of paper so I can read quotes. <laughs> Did not think we'd be talking about all of these subjects. I had a sense Soto might go just because the Nationals are so dysfunctional. And I'm not rooting for anybody, but I am pleased the Padres blocked the Dodgers from getting another superstar because the Dodgers are becoming just that predictable. Coming up, we'll start hour number two with more instant analysis with the breaking news in baseball. Juan Soto is going to join the Padres. I'll give you more thoughts about what the league has found in their investigation of the Dolphins. And Josh pointed me in the right direction. Very intriguing language used about the tanking allegations. I think the league is trying to play the semantic game there. Plus, since we talked about the Browns, I have no life. I'm not doing the win-loss, what do you think, dog, week three game. But the first six games for the Browns, if it's Jacoby Brissett for all six I don't think Watson's going to have the penalty reduced if the league appeals it to Roger Goodell or his designee. Let's just assume no Watson for the first six games, and we can expand things if necessary. At Carolina, that could be the Baker Mayfield Bowl against the Jets. That's a win. Taking on Pittsburgh, is that Mitchell Trubisky under center? Kenny Pickett, it won't be Mason Rudolph. At Atlanta, that's Marcus Mariota as the opposition. The only team with a projected winning record from the standpoint of Vegas, the Chargers, but that's in Cleveland. Chargers never travel well across multiple time zones. They wrap it up against the Patriots. Mac Jones and company come to Cleveland. Vegas has the under-over for the Patriots at eight-and-a-half wins. Okay. 
I want to make sure we retain the spirit of the program, not just me acting like um, Dan Rather. What is the frequency, Kenneth, in 1989? One more tweet. Harry O'Bod the Bay as we wind down in this first hour of the program. Brian, how is San Diego's small market? San Diego is the nation's seventh largest city with a combined metro area of Orange County, six million people overlapping into 10 million population LA market. All right, I've lived in Southern California for 19 years. You cannot do the overlapping issue because Orange County doesn't even support the Angels. So maybe there are a couple Padre fans who live in Mission Viejo, but San Diego demographically is a small market team. You know why? I'm not going to bore you with a survey or talk about the census. They couldn't keep their NFL team mostly because of the greed and ineptitude of the Spanos family. And that's why, even though I live in Los Angeles, I'll never be making a dollar from your bolts. First hour is done. The staff is saying, my God, this guy is a blowhard. I'm just going to keep rambling for the next two hours. Make up some news. I'm Ron Burgundy today. You hand it to me. Clearly, I'll read it. Good night, Nile.